Onboard computer synchronization. Now entering the nexus of geekery and guy world. In three, two, one, mark. Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? This is the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. A service of Shark Flight Publishing. Hey, boys and girls, welcome back for episode, good grief, what is this now? 13 of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. Man, how the time flies. we got a whole year behind us now to talk about. I am your host, as always, Ian J. Malone, joined by my good buddy Dave Daniels and a very, very special guest. Going to get to those guys here in just a second. Before we do, got to run down the usual laundry list of stuff. That is, of course, how you find us on the web. We're online at dudesinhyperspace.com. You can also follow us on social media. We do the Facebook and the Twitter thing, at the HyperDudes. We'll get you there either way. Uh, you can also email the show if you like. If you've got questions for Dave or I, come on at it. Uh, dudes in hyperspace at gmail.com. You know, we always love hearing from you guys. So, uh, Dave, before we bring on our guest, man, been a lot of stuff happening. We got uh, all kinds of news breaking loose and nerd them. We got new college football coaches. We're on the holidays. Tons of stuff happening. So what's going on in your world? Uh, well, see, this is how I'm living in Tallahassee. But the entire thing that I've heard about is is Florida State's head coach and who's going to be the head coach and what's going to be the head coach and how good the head coach is going to be and whether uh, so yeah yeah my nightmare pretty much since I'm not a Florida State fan yeah I got you well I will uh I'll I'll throw a thought on that out or two in white flag at the end of the show and that'll be about it I think that's pretty well been marinated on enough at this point I don't really feel like I have anything new to say that nobody else hasn't already said so but I'll throw my two cents in on that as an FSU alum a little bit later on uh, as for me, everything's rolling along in North Carolina, man. We're sitting here watching the weather kind of bounce around a little bit. It's been super, super, super chilly. And then it jumps back up to a balmy 60. And now we're back into the low 20s tonight. So uh, it is it is Christmas time indeed. Uh, putting the wraps on a manuscript for a book I'm trying to get out in January to edit. Uh, so if you follow me on social media, you kind of know what that's been been all about. And I'm going to have plenty of news on that coming here in the next several weeks. So stay tuned to me on social media for that. But um, but the big stuff happening right now, uh, particularly in nerd demand, uh, we're getting ready to wrap the Star Wars Skywalker saga. Uh, December 19th marks the last of nine films. Whether you believe the new films belong in that saga or not, that's where they're putting them. And they're going to try and put this whole thing to bed with Rise of Skywalker. Everybody's making the rounds. Uh, we got J.J. Abrams out doing interviews with everybody from Empire to EW Weekly. Uh, it's the, the machine is in full stride. We are ramping up to a fever pitch now. So naturally, if you guys who listen to the show, you know we've talked a lot about this. And we could do a whole show doing our predictions and prognostications and opining, if you will, on what we expect from Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. But frankly... We kind of figured that might bore you guys. So uh, Brother Daniels decided that he was going to go out and find us a guest. And Brother, did you. So who do we have going on here, Dave? You you tell the, tell the people, what are we doing tonight? You know, I, I'm more excited about this episode than I have been any other one that we've done, even with Mark Schleyball when he came into college football for us. Mm. Uh, huge guest for us is going to be uh, Emmy-nominated special effects makeup artist Nick Maley. Uh, he's worked on such movies as uh, Superman, Highlander, the original Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Krull, and he was responsible for helping create the original Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, of course, right now, he's semi-retired uh, from what he likes to say, and he's running uh, that Yoda Guy movie exhibit on the Dutch side of St. Martin in Phillipsburg, my favorite place to go when I go on a cruise out in that area. Nick, how's it going tonight? Hey, I'm pretty good. I'm just sitting here waiting, listening to you guys. <laughs> So, you know, we'll get to Star Wars in a few minutes. I know that's kind of the, the big thing, but uh, one of your, the first movies you ever worked on was actually a Bond movie with one of our favorite Bonds, Roger Moore. Uh, what was that like, and what exactly did you work on in the movie? Actually, I, I can't take a lot of credit for um, for much on Roger. He, he had a makeup artist who, uh, called Paul Englund, who was a friend of mine. And Paul asked me to come on to that show for, uh, that was the man with the golden gun, asked me to do that for uh, a little while, mainly to do all the nude uh, girls in the title sequence. Oh, that sounds like a tough job. It was surprisingly tough, actually. We'll, that's another story. 
I I worked with uh, Roger on on a couple of other movies too through Paul, um, not Bond movies, but uh, through that period it was um, it was kind of interesting. I, I'm not okay. sure that I I would rate him as my favourite Bond, but um, you know he uh, that he certainly added his own um, suave touch to it. Well, that begs the question: Then, who is your favorite Bond? Um, you know, I, I'm uh, my favorite Bond would be um, Pierce Brosnan, probably, and I know that might surprise you, but uh, you know, if you actually sat down and read the Bond books, um, you'd realize that uh, he is the more uh, he is much closer to what um, what Ian Fleming originally wrote. Uh, it, it, he he was never um, the Sean Connery. Sean Connery was always much too earthy for for what um, Ian Fleming had in mind. He saw him as a very suave um, uh, character that I think um, Pierce Brosnan was was absolutely right for. Got you. So what, what got you started then in just doing special effects for movies, which is, I mean, everything that you've done. I know that you, you wrote a screen, screenplay and, and did some stuff with that, but what uh, what got you started doing the special effects? Well, it's been a journey, really. I mean, life is a journey, and uh, and for me, moving through movies, I, you know, I started as a, as a makeup artist, making pretty people look prettier, uh, and just decided I was going to get bored doing that. So it'd be more fun making pretty people look pretty ugly. And so that really kind of led me into um, prosthetics and special makeup effects. And to do that, in instead of just, you know, applying color to someone's, uh, two-dimensionally applying color to someone's face you have to learn to be a sculptor and to be a mold maker and uh, to be able to deal with the chemistry of making those prosthetic pieces and then to be able to put them on without someone's face breaking out in spots and uh, you know there's so many different elements that are involved in trying to do that but the but the the basic core of um of life casting people so that you can um, then sculpt something on top of uh, of their form create a new form on top of their form um is just a few steps away from making people in suits and that's what we were doing um with the Moss Eisley Cantina. Uh, and then you look at that and you say, well, this is all well and good, but when you do prosthetics, they, they, they're glued to the face. And so the movements of the face generate movements in the mask. But when you're dealing with pullover masks, uh, uh, they no longer have that sense of movement in them unless you start to build little mechanisms to make that work and that was the birth of animatronics so uh, that journey uh, through all of that led me to directing animatronics and that led me to storyboarding and that led me to screenwriting and uh, and and directing second unit so you know that was a that was a um a progression that made life really much more interesting than just going to work and doing the same thing every day. Well, you've uh, you've done a little bit of everything as a, as a special effects and a makeup artist, and this includes also music videos, um, which also included uh, one of our favorite videos of the '80s, which is the Wild Boys by Duran Duran. Yeah, that was a great that was a great uh, video, and we won the the Grammy that year for that. Uh, that was directed by Russell Mulcahy, who uh, actually was the director of um, Highlander. That's how I got to do Highlander, was because I'd, we'd really meshed really well on um, on Wild Boys. And, it, you know, that was a very fluid, not, a, not at all a kind of traditional movie-making um, way of doing things. I mean, we had 10 days and... I, I talked to Russell and he said, basically, what can we make in the time? And so we we made things and presented them and then created a story around the stuff rather than created stuff for the story. 
Nick, I actually kind of want to dovetail off of that question. You know, the timeline that we're talking about here, this is the pinnacle of MTV and the music video generation. It seems like in a lot of respects, that's kind of a lost art form. Uh, you know, kids just don't turn right. into to music videos anymore, evidenced by the fact that music TV doesn't do anything to do with music anymore. What are your thoughts it's on It's bizarre, kind of isn't it? I, how did that happen? How did MTV end up being just another just another channel i mean uh, is that because uh, the internet came along and people started watching their their music videos for free on on youtube or or what i think that was part of it but mtv was already going the way of the dodo long before we had the dvr and youtube i mean i can remember it all started with the romance shows and all of that kind of stuff and I, that was certainly when I tuned out, and that's in the 90s. So we still had, yeah. I think grunge was kind of the last era when, when MTV was still relevant for someone of my generation. And yet they were, they were really picky about their videos. I mean, that, that was a, a time I was directing some music videos in Los Angeles in the mid, in about, I don't know whether that was 95 or 96. And, um, and we were having to be really careful because, you know, if we had... If we had too much, if we showed too much flesh, that wasn't going to be allowed. And if we, if we made the absolute sin of filming it on video instead of filming it on film, then MTV wouldn't run it at all. And then we seemed to go from that to reality TV. Um, that was kind of crass in comparison. Yeah, wholly agree. Well, thanks for your thought on that, man. That's unique insight. So when it comes back to, to doing the special effects artist, how does your vision for characters come together and how much input do you have with what you do on the overall look for the characters? It really depends on on job to job. It's all down to the director, really. You you work with one director and he gives you a free a life force. I mean, basically, um, I read the script I asked the questions of uh, Tobe Hooper of what it was that we were going to see in these particular scenes, and he gave me a very broad um, outlook, and I just went away and, and did my thing. Uh, he would walk onto the set and say, Nick, what are we filming today? Uh, you get another director like Michael Mann, who is so um, uh, obsessed with his own vision that it, you know he doesn't necessarily listen a lot to um, to what you're trying to tell him, and uh, and so you know things get to, uh, from one extreme can be from one extreme to another. Obviously, that impacts the cost and uh, the time uh, that, that that gets used up as well. You've mentioned in, in other interviews uh, that you, you stalked Stuart Freeborn, uh, who is the, the iconic makeup artist that was in the original Star Wars trilogy, Omen, yeah. all four Superman movies, until he would hire you. So how, how did that take place, and how did, what finally got him to bring you on board? Um, you have to understand, one of the things I say in my little book of big ideas that went international in November um, is that you, you have to study your industry. You have to understand how the industry works. It's no good just, um, just putting together the skills that you need to do the job uh, and then sitting around waiting for something to happen. You have to, you have to understand the industry well enough to realize who is the person who can give you the job and where you should be standing for them to notice you. Uh, and so, um, I had, uh, once I got my union card to get into making movies, that seemed like, you know, that was it. I was in movies and everything was going to be great and it was going to be wonderful. And then within three weeks, I was unemployed again and, and sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. So the first thing that I, that I did was I started to I subscribe to whatever periodicals were out there that were going to tell me what was being made where. Um, I went to every union meeting to make sure that I knew who those people were that were doing the jobs. If I didn't know them before, I was going to get to know them, you know, in that environment. And uh, and I got up and spoke, uh, usually garbage, at at uh, at every meeting to make sure that they knew who I was as well. Um, the thing with Stuart. 
Stuart was was you know absolutely at the upper echelon when I when I got started. And another thing that I say in the um, in my book is you know don't uh, if there's an obvious route between where you are and where you want to go, for goodness sake, don't take that because everybody else is on the same road. And that means you've got two million people queued up for the front gate. And as soon as that happens, there's somebody who's going to be employed to stand at the front gate and send everybody away. Uh, so what you do instead is you look sideways. You look for the guy in overalls who's got a key to the back gate and you offer to carry his bag. So in this particular instance, I would find out through those periodicals where Stuart was working, I had my union ticket. So I could go to the studio and just wave my union card and say, oh, I got a meeting with Stu Freeborn, which wasn't true at all. And then I'd go into the studio and I would hang out uh, at the canteen and wait for him to come in for a cup of tea or, or, or something else. And then I would just talk to him and make sure that I, I I was broke at that time and so I would have enough money to get to the studio and buy that cup of tea and then I would just happen to settle down on his table and 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 start a conversation with him because the critical thing in in uh, breaking into that is no one is going to say oh, we're going to make a Bond movie and we'd like this guy that we've never met before to come and do the makeup on, on James Bond. Uh, what they do is they've got their crew, they've got their friends, the people that they always employ, and they are going to give all the key jobs to those people. But when they've got a crowd of people, they will then call up their old friends or their old mentors and give them some work until such time as they need more people and they don't know who it is that can do that job for them. And then they'll call up the union and say, who's available this week? And the union will give them a list of names. Oh, that certainly that's how it was in those days. Um, and if they, as they look through that list of names, I wanted to make sure that they recognized my name over the other names so that I was the new guy who would get that new job. And that's effectively what happened with Stuart on a movie 1971 uh, called Young Winston, where uh, they were doing a, a, a sequence for the houses of commons, or, or no, House of Lords, I think it was, um, in uh, about 1888. And they needed all of these people, like 200 people, to have, uh, you know, long beards that were typical for the period. And so they needed makeup artists and they, they, they needed more than, than, his friend, than his friends were available. So uh, he called me in to do two days work. I upset a few people on that because, uh, you know, I come from theatre originally, and in theatre you're trying to propel the image of a face at least 200 feet out into the audience, and you're trying to work a character of a of a part. So it's a it is two dimensional, but it's all character based. So you don't just slap a bit of color on someone's face so that they you know the lights don't penetrate you you are trying to say this is a villain i'm going to make him look villainous you know this is a hero i'm going to make him look heroic uh, and so that was that was my core base so when i had done the the makeups on my on my crowd that were just milling around as soon as i got on set uh, i would pull them off one at a time and turn them into what I considered to be you know, real, interesting character personalities. Uh, and uh, that upset some of the other makeup artists who would say, hey, you know, if you're doing that, they'll expect us to do it too. Just sit down and be quiet. Um, but those were, those were the guys doing the crowd. I wanted to be the guy working on principles. So I did it anyway. Uh, all my characters ended up at what they call front of crowd, which means right behind the main actors. And my two days ended up being 16 weeks. I went on location with Stuart on that particular job. 
And ultimately, when he got Star Wars, um, I carried his bag. That was it. You, you carried his bag. So it just shows that with the hard work, when you, there's something you want to go into, doing that extra mile pushes you up into, into where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you want to be the one that, that gets to work, you've got to be there before the next guy and you've got to uh, you've got to be there after the next guy's left. You know, I, in, in my little book is all about um, how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And it doesn't really matter whether that's working in movies or whether that's something entirely different. But, you know, the principles are the same. The principles are you. you if you have a passion for what you do, you're going to succeed purely because you put in more effort than the next guy. That's that's all about how you know developing your product. But then you also need to be smart enough to look at where your opportunities are. You know, you don't sit around and say, um, I want to be Marilyn Monroe and I'll dye my hair when they offer me the job because no one's ever going to offer you the job. You've got to be that person who who prepares themselves and then says, well, you know, Marilyn's not, I'm, I'm sitting in Wisconsin and Marilyn's not going to get any work here. So now I've got to try and figure out who are the people who can give me the job and where do they where do they live and where do they drive to and which street corner should I stand on to make sure that they notice me? Um, you've just got you've just got to work it and work it and work it and understand that these things aren't things that happen. They don't happen quickly. Uh, I have I've have quite a lot of people who will come through the museum and they'll say oh yeah I, I went to film school but you know I went to Hollywood and I, I hung out there for 18 months but it didn't work out for me well excuse me 18 months isn't even scratching the surface 18 months you haven't even met enough people to network with you if you want to make something work and it, you want to live an extraordinary life you need to expect to put in at least a decade or a decade and a half to make it happen yeah if you look at Harrison Ford. Look at his uh, at his internet movie database uh, record of movies, and you'll find that he was making movies as bit parts for ten to fifteen years before he ever made Star Wars. Well, of course, all that hard work for you led to Star Wars, where Stuart brought you on board, where you worked on uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, uh, specifically uh, working with. Um, the Yoda model that was used in Empire Strikes Back. For those of us that, that grew up watching this and see what was going on, I mean, what was it like to work there? What was it like to create this character that's become, I mean, over the, the years, just become so iconic? Well, the two movies were really very different. I mean, first of all, when we when we went to work on, uh, on that first Star Wars movie, I don't think anybody honestly took it terribly seriously. If you sat and read the script, it was a... It was a it was a it was a movie about gunslingers and wizards in space, and in the seventies, no one was going to take that seriously. The um, I was just thrilled that Stuart had finally given me the opportunity to be on a, a an effects movie team rather than on the straight movie team. You know, basically, uh, when you've got a, an effects movie, it tends to be. Um, two specific teams on Star Wars it, it was the same we had our makeup artists that would be looking after things on the set and that we had our team that was actually building the stuff in the in the workshop and there would be times like with the Mos Eisley Cantina where where there was a crossover there that we created all this stuff so we went down and we would film it but on uh, on Empire um, we was had so many different things that we were trying to build and there was not that many of us in the workshop that um that you know you were busy pretty much all of the time you'd make something it would go down on set if it if it was playing up you might go down and and work on it but the rest of the time you're back um work, you know working on something else none of us i think really anticipated that that a new hope which was called the star wars at the time was going to be what it what it turned out to be um of course we were all thrilled and 
but you know that was that was George's genius was that he he took the little pieces from lots of people who were cutting edge and we knew what we were doing was cutting edge but we didn't anticipate that what everybody else was doing was cutting edge as well and suddenly uh, this movie came out and it was so different to anything that anyone had seen before Uh, anyone who's who's who didn't see it that first time 1977 sitting in a cinema anybody who wasn't there at the time can't understand now the impact that that movie had at that time because they don't understand what the standard was before that uh, you know uh, within within two years we had uh, lots of people that were all making movies that were using similar technology but it's always hard to be the first guy who does it and and uh, and really uh, uh, he knocked the ball right out the ballpark so when we got to the second movie you know suddenly our egos were up and suddenly we had uh, this uh, you know everyone had extreme respect uh, for George, which I don't necessarily, I, I, no one treated George with contempt on the first one, but he was like a, a, a college, ex-college student uh, that he didn't have that presence that you would expect by, to have with Hitchcock or or some of those other um, big name directors. He was quite quiet and not very communicative really he he he, um a lot of the stuff that he asked for he asked for in in fairly general terms there wasn't ever anything that made us specifically feel that we had something that we had that he wanted that we had to create we were creating stuff that was in a general vein when we got to the second one of course they'd made a lot of money and they did have designs for the wampa for the tonton and for yoda um and the the wampa we had to change in so much that we had to move the joints around to accommodate building it around a a a very tall human being um the uh the tonton was pretty much exactly as it was designed to be uh, and Yoda changed very dramatically from um, from the original drawings into the character that you know now. Often people will look at drawings, the Ralph Macquarie drawings of Yoda, and um, and they think that those were done before we built him, but they weren't. They were all done afterwards. If you see any drawings of Yoda, they were done after Stuart had spent months of uh, of sculpting to try and decide. Uh, what he was going to look like. Nick, I actually want to go back to something that you touched upon just a couple of minutes ago. You talked about, you know, you guys getting into workshops and building things. It seems like the progression through the 90s with the prequels was to go almost entirely CGI. And I know a lot of people, you know, there was a lot of debate on whether that was a good thing or whether that was a bad thing. Um, unanimously when Abrams took over after Disney bought Lucasfilm one of the first things he did was say we're going back to as many practical effects as we can do and that's very much a hallmark of his filmmaking style you go back and look at the Star Trek films that he did and whatnot and it's if he can shoot it on a set he shoots it on the set if he can build a prop he builds a prop and you know while there have been a lot of issues with the new Star Wars films with regard to story the look and the aesthetic of the new films very much resonates in a, in a lot of regard with what you guys Yeah, they're very did. nicely made movies. Yeah, they, can, uh, can you speak they, to that transition? Know, um, well, all I can say is that the Star Wars prequels were not my favorite Star Wars movies, you know. They, they, we, we, things progressed to get more and more digital over that period of time i mean really i think the early 90s was a great time where you had a great combination of physical and digital effects movies like terminator 2 that uh, at that point in time we didn't know enough about 
digital effects for us to get blasé about it. And so you looked at some of the stuff and it they it was wondrous then of course they they made all the oh this is how we did it videos which actually completely destroys the magic of the movies and then and you know after a while people say oh they blew up the universe yeah but they did it with a computer you know it was pretty easy really uh, it's just a program uh, yeah there's there's a lot of artistry that's involved in in doing that and taking that to uh, different places but for me it's just a glorified cartoon and and someone else would would say oh yeah nick but you know you're a dinosaur you know you're not moving with the times i think that i think that were a lot of other people who felt the same way and uh, you know ian mckellen who was doing the lord of the rings movies said it um it brought him to tears to try to have a meaningful, give a meaningful performance while having a conversation with a green box in a green room. And it, it, it was like, you know, okay, now we've got the, the Force Awakens and we take people out and we actually put them on a real set and we actually give them something to look at. And of course they get a better performance. Of course they get something that's more meaningful. Um, I think it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a natural progression. I, and I think there are also, there are dangers. People completely overlook the, the, you know, the social dangers that there are in, um, in digital imaging, but that's another, that's another story altogether. But, um, but you know, that, that kind of technology is cloning people's images is a lot more dangerous than cloning people. Well, Nick, that leads us into kind of where Star Wars has moved into at this point. All the craze right now going on has to do with uh, the Mandalorian and, of course, Baby Yoda, which is the latest ideation of, of what you've uh, what you created back in the in the early '80s. What's your thought on on that and and some of the new properties that have been popped up over the last couple of years? Well, I I like Baby Yoda. I think he's cute. Uh, I think there's a big danger for for me. There's a big danger that he's going to. Uh, eclipse uh, my little green guy but um I, I, we need to see more because he seems to in terms of him being um an animatronic um he is kind of limited there's only a certain amount in within uh, a practical effect that you can do on something that gets to be that small um because you, it's too. I, I believe he's too small to get a, a hand in. Um, one, of course, can cheat the perspective uh, in the shots. Once you separate him from his environment, um, no one knows whether you've made a double-sized baby Yoda to allow you to do uh, other things. And we we we're good at playing games like that to to fool people. Um, but um, I, I I don't think that's what they're uh, what they're really intending at the moment. The you know the eyes being black means they don't have to put a mechanism in that turns the eyes left and right and up and down. Uh, it simplifies what they what they going to put inside the head, uh, etc. But you know he has just a little bit of arm movement and some head movement and obviously some facial movement. Um, and I'm not sure how long it will be before, oh, we need him to do more stuff. So we we keep replacing him with a digital version for, you know, for certain shots. And we we have to wait and wait and see that. Um, the Mandalorian, I, I got to tell you, I am I am happy that it's as popular as it is. Uh, you know, I, I was concerned when so many people um, were unhappy with The Last Jedi. Um, I know that uh, that they were writing in various sequences to try and make uh, Luke a bit more um, heroic uh, after The Last Jedi uh, because so many people were unhappy with that. Of course, I'm not quite sure whether that means we're going to see you know, Luke as a ghost fighting another ghost, you know, who knows? But um, 
but whatever whatever it is that they're doing i know they're trying to they're trying to fix that but it, it, there were certain political issues that that had alienated quite a lot of fans uh so i'm just pleased that uh, the mandalorian as uh, at the very least even if episode 9 isn't all that everyone hopes it will be and and i think it's going to be a pretty good movie but who knows um even if that doesn't turn out to be the case, we've got uh, uh, the Mandalorian has revived um, the interest for so many of those people. Having said that, uh, I've only seen the first three episodes, uh, and I'm hoping that we're going. It's going to evolve into something more than a guy who goes around and just um, has one fight after another. I, you know, I'd like to see a bit more. Um, intellectual content in it than that. The the thing that for me makes Empire Strikes Back stand out against all the other Star Wars movies was the wisdom that Yoda imparted and the and the essence of that it still had adventure. It had strong, solid characters, um, which it's hard to really get when you're dealing with a guy who never takes his helmet off. But anyway. Um, I think uh, it it's it, no it's it's good. I think uh, I'm happy that the Mandalorian is such a success, and I'm eagerly anticipating um, episode nine. Uh, I liked episode seven. I thought that it had strong characters, uh, which to me is the essence of any of any drama. Um, I. I was prepared to accept uh, episode eight, although there were things in there that, you know, I wouldn't have done. Um, but I was, uh, you know, I felt that they were well, they were very nicely made movies. Um, excellent. I, I don't think they've made uh, any of the Star Wars movies that they've, that Disney has made haven't, have been, I don't think any of them have been, um, you know, poorly art directed. They've all been um, very atmospheric and 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 created um, great worlds for us to wander around in. It's been some of the details that that people have been critical of, and um, I I don't really need to go into all of that, but uh, clearly. Um, We'd all like to see our heroes um, continue to be heroes rather than being played down and replaced by um, by by uh, weaker characters. Yep. No, I wholly agree with that. I can tell you that uh, you you are not alone in your uh, in your assessment of kind of the look versus story with the newer films. You know, I write science fiction novels. That's kind of my moonlighting gig. And so I go to conventions and I'm on panels with other writers and stuff. And I had a fairly nice conversation with one of the more prominent writers in the Star Wars universe, uh, in the old expanded universe. And then uh, now, and I put that to him. I said, you know, what do you think? Because this was just after Lucasfilm had acquired Disney or Disney had acquired Lucasfilm rather. And Abrams had been brought on board and it was announced that he was going to write the script. And I said, what do you think about that? And he said, Abrams will make a great looking film. He will make a film that looks like Star Wars. It will not look like the prequels. The rub is going to meet the road when we find out what kind of story he's telling. That, that I want to wait and see. And, you know, J.J.'s had his detractors and he's had his defenders. Uh, but I, I think you nailed it when you said we all just want to see our heroes fairly treated. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, that and that's the bottom line, you know. Uh, the playing down the old characters in favor of the new ones um, really wasn't necessary. I mean, obviously, we're going to have a transition uh, from old to new, and of course, they need new characters because they need to sell all those new toys. But um, we, um, we we didn't really need. Um, uh, our old characters to to be second-rate old guys who um, who stood there while their sons killed them and 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 stuff like that. But you know, that's let's just see where the story takes us. I'm I'm very um, I'm worried about why it was that they didn't write off uh, Carrie 
at uh, at the end of the last Jedi when um, she got sucked out through the window and why they did the Carrie Poppins thing. Um, you know, because clearly they saved her for something in Episode Nine, and um, I'm 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 concerned um, about exactly why they did that because I haven't found anybody at any of the conventions that I've been to who thought that that was a good idea. Yeah, I wholly agree. Well, listen, I did want to ask you about one other thing before we start to kind of wrap this thing out. And this is, this is totally an Ian thing. So Dave, thank you for letting me slice in here for just a second of Of all of the projects that you have talked about. You hit on one and got to work on one that for my money is one of my all time favorites I loved it as a kid. I love it as an adult. I cross my fingers, eat my vitamins, say my prayers every day that they don't reboot the stinking thing, and that is Highlander. Can you please just touch very briefly before we let you go on what it was like to work on that film? Because for my generation, that is one of the all-time greats. Yeah, well, sometimes people ask me about what's my favorite movie, the, the, the ones that I worked on. And I always say, well, you can't really separate the experience of watching a movie from the experience of making the movie. Because when you see that scene on the big screen, the the guy sitting next to you is just getting caught up in the story. And you're remembering what it was like to stand in that swamp and have to get on, on you know, effectively on a boat to get out there uh, or an aqua cat, actually. Um, and stand in the rain for two days and get pneumonia. And, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it's those two things are, are quite different. The movie that I enjoyed making the most was Krull. Uh, the movie that I would have to make if I could only make one would be Empire Strikes Back. The movie that's got my best work in it was an everyday story about soul-sucking vampires from outer space called life force but the movie that i think was probably the best of all those movies was highlander however it was a nightmare to make and that was because of the you know the politics that were going on on that particular movie uh russell and i had a a really great fluid working uh, relationship so when i read the script and it says we see the quickening and then later on it says we see the quickening and then later on it says we see the quickening i say to russell what, excuse me but what is this quickening thing and he says i don't know we've got to make it up and so uh he gave me the latitude to uh bring in a, a friend of mine who is a very quick storyboarder and i did all the storyboards for all the quickening sequences and that that was very rewarding when literally you know shot for shot um i watch that movie and i see uh all the stuff in it that basically um i invented um the whole the the everything in the quickening uh, the the lightning the whirlwind uh, um all of that stuff um was stuff that i invented and that russell accepted there were some other things that that i would have liked to have seen the ending wasn't the way that i um wanted it to be i felt that that was way too poltergeist um it, it was just like a reshoot of poltergeist um I had a different ending, but the writer wouldn't let us use it. So uh, there were a lot of politics involved there. The the cinematographer uh, basically couldn't accept me um, directing second unit because I had a makeup ticket and he didn't want some guy from the makeup department telling his people to turn the camera over. And um, there were issues over scheduling where I said it was going to take a certain amount of time to prepare something and um, and they basically ignored me and so uh, we, we had we had areas where you either had to do a half-assed job because you didn't have the time or um, you you were gonna have to reschedule which is like an the ultimate sin when you're making movies so um it was not a happy experience for me but i think it was a good movie well as we uh, as we get ready to wrap up here we really appreciate you coming on nick but uh, talk to us a little bit about your book uh where people can buy it and of course where they can find you 
uh, on the internet and, and uh, the products that you uh, you put forward now. Yeah, well, if people want to find me on the internet, they either put Nick Maley into uh, Google or they go to thatyodaguy.com. Um, there are, I have a lot of people that come and see me in person in my little movie exhibit in the Caribbean. I'm in the island of St. Martin, and um, we are the number one most popular activity in the town of Phillipsburg. Uh, was, uh, we recommended on every uh, major cruise line. The book I originally wrote just before Hurricane Irma um, in 2017, and I... Um, I self-published that. It came about because people had uh, had seen one of the videos I have in the museum is aimed directly at encouraging young people to follow their dreams and think big and not settle for less just because that's what everyone around them tells them they ought to be doing. I, I said to Peter Mayhew one time, who had a uh, a foundation for, for challenged kids, I said, don't you think that we're all challenged by society who encourages us to be good normal citizens without ever explaining that normal people get killed in video games uh, and so uh, when people um, were asking me for that one video I decided it would be since DVDs might be completely uh, out of the loop by the time I'd, I'd got taken them all to press, I decided writing the book would be a better way to do it. So the book came out about April 2017, and we printed a thousand copies, which we've sold now. Uh, and one of the people who came through uh, the museum um, bought the book was a publisher. And so um, uh, Future Horizons has um, taken that international. You can you can buy it on uh, Amazon. You can buy it through Barnes and Noble. Um, you know, internationally, uh, it's it has various distributors in in different countries now. And that all happened. Uh, the, the the extended version came out on the first of November, um, and has uh, a bit more in it than that first version. Remind us one more time what the name of the book is. The name of the book, it's the Do or Do Not Outlook. You know, I, I quote Yoda periodically <laughs> through the book, um, basically uh, not because I'm, uh, you know, I'm just uh, reiterating what Yoda says, but there are various um, points in the book where, you know, Yoda's lines just come to mind. And, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line is the people who fail in life are the ones who gave up. Uh, if you if you settle for less, what you get is less. It's really as simple as that. If you want to, you know, be the guy that people talk about in 40 years, if you want to have an extraordinary life, you can't do that by being normal. You've got to be extraordinary. You've got to make an extraordinary effort. You've got to say, I'm going to make this happen, even if it takes 10 years to make it happen. And that really is in the essence of Yoda's words when he says, do or do not, there is no try. There you go. The wit and wisdom of Yoda from uh, That Yoda Guy, Nick Maley. Nick, we appreciate you coming on. This has been very, very enlightening, and uh, we, we appreciate you coming on and helping us out today. Hey, it was nice to be there. Um, come by and see me sometime. Will do. I will. Thanks, Nick. You've got mail. All right, so thanks again to Nick Maley for coming on. Some absolutely fantastic stuff in that interview, man. We really, really appreciate him coming on, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, I know we pub social media a lot on this, but um, but this is definitely one you're going to want to share. So whenever the links go live and you got them and they're right there in front of you on Facebook and Twitter, click that share button and uh, let your your friendly neighborhood Star Wars fan know about this one because Man, Nick gave us some absolute money in that one. So, uh, all right, Dave, final dude mail stretch of the year, man. You ready to tackle this? All righty. First question comes from uh, our buddy Rob. Hey, guys, Dallas fan here. Despite our status atop the NFC East, my Cowboys are complete and utter trash. If you could own the franchise, what changes would you make to right the ship? Cheers and Merry Christmas. 
Dave, what do you think? Dallas Cowboys, how would you fix them? First thing you got to do is get rid of Jason Garrett. Okay. Jason, Jason Garrett is not – he's just not head coach material. He is a, a yes man for what Jerry Jones wants to get done. He just pushes the agenda. You see that the only time the Cowboys have ever been successful is when they've had somebody in there that pushed back against Jerry a little bit, was able to get their way and run their football team the way that they wanted to. So that's that's the first part of it. Get a guy in there that knows football, that's able to deal with Jerry Jones and, and go through. Um, beyond that, I mean, it's just building. Uh, you know, they've they've been very good. They've got a, a good quarterback. Uh, they've got a fantastic running back. They've always had a great offensive line. Uh, time to reach back out. They've got um, uh, Cooper as a, as a great wide receiver. Uh, go ahead and get that next tight end coming in. You know, but they've, they've got a good core. It's just about getting them believing in themselves and getting them past Jason Garrett. Yeah, I wholly agree with that. Uh, well, if, if I own the franchise, then that means Jerry Jones is gone, and frankly, I think that's your biggest problem. Uh, Jerry Jones will never get out of his own way to hire a general manager who can actually evaluate football talent. And frankly, in the salary cap era, I don't know why he hasn't figured that out yet, but he hasn't. And, um, you know, so I, I wish you well, uh, Cowboy Nation. I really do, but I, I think you got your work cut out for you getting back to the top of the mountain. As far as on-the-field moves – um, I mean, like Dave said, I, I think you definitely have some pieces to the puzzle there to work with. That is a very good thing. You're much better off than, say, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, but I, I don't believe in Dak Prescott. That I can tell you. I think he's a serviceable quarterback, very good quarterback. who could certainly get the job done. But, you know, the salary numbers that are being bannered about for that guy, I'm sorry, I, I just don't, I don't put him in that category. For my money, you can go out and get a Ryan, uh, Ryan Tannehill off the scrap heap like Tex, uh, Tennessee did this season and get just as much production if, if that's all you want. So, uh, so those are kind of my thoughts on the Cowboys. So, all right, next question comes from Rachel. Uh, saw where you guys posted the Wonder Woman 1984 trailer on Twitter, but I didn't see much in the way of opinion. Don't do me like that, boys. What do you expect out of WW84? Uh, me, personally, I'm incredibly stoked. Thanks for taking my chick-slash-dude mail, and happy holidays. So, uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Um, you know, this is one of the properties where I think DC got it right. Um, they did not get it right with Batman v Superman. They did not get it right with Justice League. Uh, they've, they've made tons and tons and tons of mistakes with their properties along the line. Wonder Woman wasn't one of them. Uh, Gal Gadot? great cast uh patty jenkins fantastic director i think if you look at the, the the look of this trailer on its own merits i think you see that yet again that patty jenkins is just a filmmaker who knows what she's doing i love the 80s vibe of it uh they nailed it with all of the colors and the imagery that they used you throw some blue monday in there from new order that's always going to get my attention um you know i mean I, I loved the relationship between diana and steve trevor in the first movie uh, everybody knew that, that Chris Pine was coming back in this one. They don't hide that right out of the gate in the trailer. We see him. Now the big question becomes, how does he come back? So I'll be, I'll be excited to see that. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really, really excited to see what they do with, with Wonder Woman 84. I, I always enjoy a good period piece, whether it's Stranger Things or whatever. That's always a fun trip down memory lane. But, um, but, but I think they've done a good job with this franchise. So to see it set in that era promises to be a lot of fun. Yeah, def- definitely looking forward to the nostalgic kick that we're going to get when we get the chance to sit down and see it on the big screen. Uh, it, ditto. It just looks fantastic. I'm, I'm ready for it. Next question comes from Mark. Yo, dudes, I think we can all agree that Die Hard is obviously the quintessential ultimate undisputed champion of Christmas movies. That is a true story, sir. Uh, with that said, what are two or three of your other holiday favorites? Thanks and Merry Christmas. Home Alone. You gotta watch Home Alone. Uh, Christmas hasn't started until until uh, Marv is got the broken nose, the burnt head, uh, hit with the snow shovel, the whole nine. Uh, of course, you have to follow that up with Home Alone too. Uh, as for, for any other Christmas movies, um, Charlie Brown Christmas. You gotta you gotta go with the classic. All right, I I will give you the classics. I'm glad you did that. I'm a little. A little saddened that you didn't list Lethal Weapon in there, because that's a Christmas movie too. 
you know, Martin Riggs sitting there with a gun to his head, looking at the gold bullet, debating on whether he's going to do the deed or not. And you got the Bugs Bunny Christmas on the screen. I mean, that's holiday magic right there. But uh, yeah, so Lethal Weapon is is a fun one uh, for me. I love that film. I hate the fact that Fox turned it into a television series. I've never seen it. And I wear that as a badge of honor. That's crap. Uh, so Lethal Weapon is definitely in there. And then you can never shake a stick at Elf. Uh, Elf was a blast. You know, I mean, it's it's it was elf was just a fun one um yeah so those those are my two lethal weapon and elf so there you go thanks for the mail all right next question comes from matt i know how jacked you guys are to watch florida state in miami in el paso and shreveport i think that's a slide at us but i'm gonna skate right on past us could you possibly comment on the rest of the bold schedule especially the championship games which care to pick a winner while you're at it Thanks for taking my dude mail and happy holidays. And that is again from, who is that from? Matt. Oh, check this out. He throws a hashtag in there, shows his cards. Boomer Sooner. Hashtag Boomer Sooner. He's an Oklahoma fan. Be cocky all you want, buddy. You're about to get your face kicked in by LSU. So, uh, bowl schedule, Dave. What are you looking at? Other than the obvious, your your Hurricanes are playing in the Independence Bowl. Yeah. We'll skate on right past that, too. <laughs> which i believe was the the means the i believe that was the motive behind his uh his snarky comment there to open his mail but yeah uh, well yeah. that's all right uh he's got his coming jalen will in fact hurts here pretty soon yes uh, yes i think uh I, I think when it comes down to it uh, i think lsu is probably going to walk away with it unless something just just happens that we're unaware of i think they've caught some magic uh between uh, Orgeron, just and and people want to run through a brick wall for that guy because you can't understand a word he's saying. It, it, he's he reminds me of the uh, the the coach, the assistant coach uh, from uh, Waterboy. Waterboy, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, from... <laughs> you get him on a sideline interview, and it's you need an interpreter, and yeah. so and or some gumbo, one of the two. So, but no, I think they've caught lightning in a bottle really well. I think he's put a team together that uh, that is, is just wants to run through a brick wall for him, and and I think that barring something that just is out of the ordinary, I think that's going to be who runs off with it. Yeah, yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, I do think Clemson is going to have something to say about it before uh, before all is said and done. It seems like that North Carolina game uh, that went down to the wire and they won by a point. One, I mean, that woke the sleeping giant. They have decimated everybody that they have played since. And you can guarantee Dabo is beating that that locker room drum, that billboard drum about how nobody respects us because we're from the ACC. We're the reigning champions, and nobody's talking about us. Nobody respects us. So getting his guys motivated, that does not seem to be a, a problem. Um, I, so I will say that Clemson could could challenge LSU. I don't know that I believe in Ohio State. I, I certainly think that they they are a machine. But watching them in the first half versus Wisconsin was a little dodgy. Um, I really don't have any faith in Oklahoma. I, I, I love, I have all the love in the world for Lincoln Riley. I think he's a great coach. And I love Jalen Hurts. He's a great kid. I wish him all the best in the NFL. But, uh, yeah, they don't have a prayer. They're going to get their faces kicked in in that first one. As far as other bowl matchups, you know, I was really kind of underwhelmed by the slate of bowl matchups this year. Bama, Michigan, and that's going to be in the Citrus. That's going to be the who wants to show up bowl because both of those teams have a, a bad tendency to just not even show up when it's not for a big game, when it's not for a title. Harbaugh never, Harbaugh's teams don't ever show up for a game that matters. So, uh, you know, who, who will be there? Florida versus Virginia in the Orange. Uh, sadly, I think Florida's going to win that one. I would love to see Virginia get in there and make some noise and fly the flag for the ACC because they were the runners-up, but I, I don't see it happening. Uh, maybe one of the better matchups of, of the non-championship games will be the Rose Bowl and Oregon versus Wisconsin. That's got real potential to be a, a fun matchup to watch. So uh, those are, are pretty well my picks. All right, final dude mail question comes to us from Andre. Hey, fellas, my dude mail question is simple. Eggnog, leaded or unleaded? That is all. Merry Christmas. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I will say most of the time for me, it's unleaded. Uh, if I hit a, a Friday night during the season, particularly if the kid's out of, out of pocket at the grandparents, then uh, I might pull a little something-something down off the shelf and, and go with the leaded eggnog. But I'm a big fan of the vanilla spice eggnog from the from the old uh, grocery store up the street. Dave, what say you? Leaded or unleaded on the eggnog? It all depends on the mood, but I can do it either way. 
Fair enough. Well, that is uh, going to do it for the last 2019 edition of Dude Mail, which will, fittingly enough, take us into the final edition of White Flag for 2019. So here we go. White Flag. White Flag, we're going to do a little bit differently for this uh, for this episode. We will, of course, kind of look ahead a bit to what's coming up. Uh, lots of movies happening in 2020 that we're all excited about. Uh, lots of big stories in sports to look forward to. Um, just, just lots of stuff on our radar, so we'll certainly hit on that. But 2019 was a big year. Before we roll into the looking ahead, Dave, what was some of the most memorable stuff you got out of this year? It could be a movie, it could be a, a game that you watched or a sports story. I mean, what is when you look back on 2019, what are you going to remember? Well, first of all, as a sports uh, as a sports fan uh, cheering for mostly Miami teams, there's absolutely nothing about this year that I found <laughs> particularly exciting. Uh, you know, I will say though, I've I've been fairly excited with Brian Flores and what he's done with the Dolphins uh, for a year that we were supposed to tank on purpose to get a to get a specific player. I think he has taken a a ragtag team of players and just uh, and done fantastic with them. He's got them to where they they want to play, they want to win. They're playing beyond their potential, and I, I think that's something exciting going into the next year when, when we start with all the draft picks that we've saved up for for this next season. Um, movies have been fantastic. Uh, you know, the ones that I've actually gone out to go and see, Joker was beyond expectations, and uh, I think that's that's been the, the biggest part of 2019. Fair enough. Yeah, I look back on a lot of that uh, the same way with uh, movies and with sports. Obviously, my Florida State Seminoles are pure garbage um, really hated to see that for year two. I was really rooting for Willie Taggart. Folks who know me, follow me on social media, listen to the show, you know that. Sadly, it didn't happen. And uh, so we have yet another year when Florida State football was pretty much over in September. And that just sucks. That's not fun at all. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, pretty much the same thing. Uh, they have a chance to maybe finish 8-8, eight and eight, but now Jameis is hurt uh, with, a, with a bum thumb. So not really sure what's going to happen there. But I don't think anybody really expected much out of the Bucs this year. Really, for me, my saving grace this year in terms of sports was the NASCAR playoffs, which were just lights out as they are. I know NASCAR has a lot of detractors from old school fans who hate this playoff format that they've gone to, which is, uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, is kind of like a cut-down format a la the NCAA tournament. Um, But, man, is it just absolutely built to give you massive drama. And when you know the storylines and you know the players – you sit there week after week and stage after stage, and you're just riveted by what's happening. And a lot of that helps that, you know, some of my favorite guys, my driver in particular, Kevin Harvick, is in the mix every year to be in the Final Four. But um, but it's just it's a great time. As a, as a lover of racing, a lover of, of, of auto sport, uh, the NASCAR playoffs are just a blast. And so that's that's been a lot of fun for me. Uh, Dave hit on the movies. Joker was out of this world. It's so rare anymore that you walk into a film with expectations of any kind and walk out and go, man, you just hit it out of the park. But Joker certainly did it. And Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips, all the guys who are involved with that project deserve every accolade that they get. And, uh, and I hope it's a lot of them because they certainly earned it. Um, Avengers Endgame, culmination of 10 years worth of storytelling from Marvel. You know, we've discussed that ad nauseum on this show. It wasn't a perfect film, but given the magnitude and scope of what it had to do to tie up that many stories set over that many flagship Marvel properties, and it, I, I think it did a great job. And I was a big fan of the film. I, I love the way that it ended, um, you know, the, the, the way that it sent off your, your big characters like Captain America, um, uh, you know, Tony Stark, Iron Man. It just, it was a brilliant film. So, uh, so that was good stuff. Looking ahead to 2020, uh, lots of, lots of good movies on the horizon yet again. Uh, just a couple of days ago, the first trailer for No Time to Die came out. That's the new James Bond film. Talked a lot about that tonight with, uh, with Nick Maley. Uh, I'm excited to see that. That's going to be the swan song for Daniel Craig as James Bond. Lots of speculation as to who's going to take over the mantle from there, but we'll save that for another day. Uh, you've also got Top Gun Maverick, which is the long-awaited sequel to Top Gun. I'm interested to see what that happens. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984, we touched on. Marvel's The Eternals, Black Widow. Dune, the remake of Dune, promises to be very, 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 very interesting. I'm not normally a reboot guy. Leave it alone. Come up with a new property. But from what I'm hearing about this incarnation of the Dune film, it's going to be much more to to scale with what was presented in the books and all the rumor is, all the buzz is, that if you were a fan of the novels back in the day, this is a movie you're going to want to see. So, Dune. And then finally, Bill and Ted Face the Music. 
I'm, I'm really hoping for a good laugh out of that. Um, I've read, read what that story is going to be, and that promises to be a lot of fun. As far as sports stories go, uh, naturally I'll be interested to see what my Florida State Seminoles look like with a new head coach. I uh, touched on it at the very top of the show. Florida State hires Mike Norvell. Uh, all in all, given everything that was out there, I like the hire. Uh, a lot of a lot of Knowles fans are not happy. They don't think it was a big enough name hire. And to that, I would say, well, who else was a bigger name other than Bob Stoops? You know, Bob Stoops, it appears, doesn't want to come back to college football. So where else are you going? I mean, you could make the argument that James Franklin, you know, would be a big splash name, and he would be. But James Franklin wanted to get a raise out of Penn State. And when the USC job closed off, that was probably the only one that was going to get him. So take those two guys off the board, and I, I like the hire of Norvell. I like his energy. I like his message. And I'll be interested to see what he does with that. So uh, sports stuff, geek stuff, that's pretty well what I'm looking at, man. 2020, Dave, what do you got going on? What's what's on your radar? You know, the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is this little thing we're doing right here, man. We've uh, we've grown this over the last year. We've done some amazing things, had some great interviews. Uh, I know Scott's not with us at the moment. Uh, he wasn't able to get to be here for this episode. But uh, just being able to, to move forward and what we have in store as we continue to grow this thing and, and continue to do things better, uh, and the product that we can bring. That's the the biggest thing I'm looking forward to for next year. Absolutely. And, you know, we hit on this with every show. And so it's fitting that we will close out with this uh, on, on the back end of this one. We love hearing from you guys. So if there's something you want us to touch on in terms of a topic, if there's somebody you would like us to interview, now granted, we can't get George Lucas. <laughs> Sadly, not happening for us. But well, We haven't uh, tried yet. We, we haven't tried yet. We have reached out to a few folks. Uh, we do have some interviews in the pipeline to kick off 2020 that uh, we're not quite ready to roll out yet, but we think you guys are going to really enjoy them. Um, but, but yeah, if there's something you guys want us to touch upon, and it can be anything, let us know. Shoot us an email at dudesinhyperspace at gmail. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at the HyperDudes. Uh, comments, tweets, whatever. Just find us. We're out there. Let us know what you want out of this. And as always, if you love the show, share it with somebody. Let them know that we're out here. And by all means, leave the blurb on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, wherever it is you subscribe. If it'll let you give five stars, then please leave them there. It helps to bump the show up in the ratings for people to find who may not necessarily be looking for us. So uh, on that note, I think we're going to close things out. Thank you so much again to Nick Maley for coming on board the show. It was beyond an honor to have him on. Thank you to Dave Daniels for bringing his perspective to the table as always. Scott is off on work duty. Travel safe, my friend. We will catch you on the flip side. And for the rest of you guys, y'all have fun. We will be in touch, lastly, with one final show of the year. That will be our hot take review of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. We will drop that opening weekend. So, uh, But this is going to do it for our last full-length episode of 2019. It's been a blast. You guys, Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. So take it easy. See ya. See ya.